Good morning, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. This story was first published on February 19th of 2012 under the headline, First Seaworthy Log Raft Helped Oregon Build the City of San Diego. Here we go. Any number of well-meaning people assured Simon Benson that seagoing log rafts were an impossible pipe dream. People had been trying to build them since 1791 when a Maine timberman named James Tupper tried to tow a raft out to England and barely got out of the harbor. The first summer squall would tear it apart, break a chain, and it would be all over, they said. They should have known better. Benson, one of history's most gifted amateur engineers, had a strong track record of turning impossible schemes into lucrative realities. Today, Benson is most remembered as the guy who covered the north end of Portland with free drinking fountains, the Benson Bubblers, so that the employees doing tough, dangerous work in his Portland mill wouldn't have to choose between beer and nothing to slake their thirst on their lunch breaks. He's also well-known for his efforts to get the Crown Point Vista House and the scenic Columbia River Highway built. But not too many years ago, Simon Benson's name conjured another image in the minds of people all along the West Coast floating, one-acre, cigar-shaped islands made of thousands and thousands of logs being slowly pulled through 1,100 miles of ocean behind a tugboat. From Clatskanie, Oregon to San Diego, California, each with enough lumber to build almost 500 houses. The seagoing rafts were just one example of something that Benson had engineered after many others had tried and failed. Benson was originally from Norway and emigrated to the U.S. when he was 16. He'd worked in logging in Michigan and left for Oregon after the general store he'd established caught fire, leaving him penniless. When that happened, he and his family moved to Portland in 1880 and got into the logging business. Loggers at that time were using cattle, oxen, to pull the logs out of the woods. With the vigorous and profane encouragement of a bullwhacker, a big team of them would be chained to a log which would slowly pull along a road made of smaller logs half buried in the earth the skid road, as a lad known as a grease monkey ran along behind the oxen in front of the load greasing the skids with some sort of oil. It was a time-consuming and dangerous way to do it, especially for the grease monkey. A man in Northern California named John Dolbeer had invented a steam-powered cable yarder, and breakthroughs in locomotive design had made it possible for trains to go up very steep slopes. Benson engineered a system to use these two innovations to revolutionize logging operations, getting rid of the oxen teams entirely and replacing the wasteful skid roads with a narrow-gauge logging railroad that could penetrate deeper into the woods than any team of oxen ever could. He implemented this in 1891, and it soon made him very wealthy. What Benson had invented was a version of ground-lead logging, And although many logging operators came up with the idea independently around the same time, Benson was the first in Oregon to do so. In 1906, Benson traveled to the very southern tip of the American West Coast and built a sawmill in San Diego. 
He knew Southern California was on the cusp of a huge building boom, and he intended to be there with the lumber that folks would need when it started. But there was a problem. San Diego could not supply his sawmill with trees. To supply Southern California with building materials, Benson was going to need to transport lumber from his logging operations in northern Oregon. Benson considered loading logs on coastwise steam schooners, which was the traditional method of transporting wood. There were several problems with this approach. First, it was expensive. Even with a full deck load, a steam schooner could only carry a relatively small amount, small at any rate relative to the raw material needs of a then-modern sawmill. Secondly, raw logs were dangerous on a ship at sea. As a load, they shifted easily and developed tremendous momentum when they did. Sure, they'd be chained down, but in rough enough weather, chains could break. And finally, some of the logs Benson was getting out of the woods at this time were just too big to fit efficiently in the space available on a steam schooner. No, another solution was needed. Benson thought he had one, an ocean-going log raft. Nearly everyone thought this was lunacy and dangerous to boot. But Benson, with his natural engineer's approach, came up with a system that he knew would work. In the quiet waters of Wallace Slough, on the Columbia, Benson's team built a mammoth cradle which looked a little like the ribs of a giant ship. The cradle was filled halfway with logs of various lengths before the chains started getting put on. One mammoth chain down the middle of the raft from one end to the other, with chains radiating out from it to the outside of the raft, where they were linked to a series of external chains that circled the cigar-shaped mass of logs. The finished product contained up to six million board feet of lumber, held together by 175 tons of chains. Putting the raft together took weeks. A crane operator had to carefully place each log so that there would be plenty of overlap to prevent the raft from breaking in two. When the cradle was full of logs, the outside circle chains would be dogged down as tight as they could go, and the finished raft would be released into the river. When released from the cradle, the load would spread out a bit, leaving the top flat enough to stack cargo on. So many Benson rafts made the journey with deck loads lashed on top. The finished product was 835 feet long and about 55 feet wide, just over an acre, being slowly pulled down the coast towards Southern California. It was a big success. Simon Benson got to build San Diego. He settled into a rhythm. During the winter, while the storms raged on the ocean, his crew worked in the quiet waters of the slough, building the summer's fleet. When the weather calmed down, the cigar-shaped behemoths would start heading out to sea. Out of 120 rafts built, only two were lost to heavy weather. Quote, if we struck rough weather, the steamer cast loose and let the raft wallow in the trough of the sea till the storm blew itself out, Benson later recalled, according to an article in the San Diego Union-Tribune. Then we reattached the cable to the raft and went on. Benson's mammoth log islands were a familiar sight on the West Coast from 1906 until 1941. In that year, the 120th raft actually caught fire. It's hard to understand exactly how that happened, but it did, and after that, citing insurance issues, the owner, which by this time was no longer Mr. Benson, ended the era of the Benson rafts. Key sources in this story have included works by Stuart Holbrook, Richard Crawford, and SanDiegoYesterday.com. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. 
What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly, specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. But if you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatoregon.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶